0: Hey, and welcome to the Boston Podcast episode 260. Today, I'm sitting down with an incredible leadership expert who shares her expertise, wisdom, guidance, and research around what women leaders really need to be centered leaders. We also get into... Uh, some of the gender differences around leadership, and racial disparities as well, and how leaders can truly be more inclusive, especially now, given what a tumultuous year 2020 has turned out to be. So if you are an aspiring leader, someone who's looking to really level up their leadership practice, today's interview is for you. So today, I'm talking about centered leadership with Joanna Barsh, who, as the director emerita at McKinsey & Company, helped consumer-facing clients for over 30 years on growth strategy, performance transformation, organization effectiveness, and leadership development. In 2007, Joanna led the creation of the Centered Leadership Institute with the mission to develop all leaders seeking to transform their organizations and communities. She leads top team discussions, facilitates executive workshops, and delivers keynotes on centered leadership, unlocking the potential of women and engaging millennials like me in the workforce. She's long been a strong advocate for women and led groundbreaking research for the Wall Street Journal's Women in Economics Task Force and for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. She's the bestselling author of three great books, How Remarkable Women Lead, and Centered Leadership, as well as her newest book, Grow Wherever You Work, which helps rising leaders accelerate their growth by embracing challenges. Joanna Barsh, welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. Well, thank you, and I'm delighted to be with you. So I wanna talk with you about the central focus of your research over the years, which you call centered leadership. Tell me a little bit about what centered leadership means to you and how women leaders in particular should be thinking about embracing this kind of leadership practice. Sure. So if you're new
1: to this concept, think of it as uh, feeling grounded in the earth, but also stretching up to the sky. So that you're both light and agile, but centered and stable. It's a wonderful feeling when it happens and you can work towards it every day to make more of it happen. So it's not about uh, being this perfect being, but about working right. towards it and building capabilities that help you lead at your best more of the time, particularly in tumultuous messed up times like the one we're living in right now <laughs> uh, and it has five yeah. capabilities uh we could talk more about them I'll just I'll just riff them off so you have them which sure. are which are meaning framing connecting engaging and energizing don't forget that last one
0: mm, right i mean that sounds so important given how exhausted we all are right now so let's talk about how centered leadership can help leaders Manage through tumult, we find ourselves not only navigating a global pandemic with no clear end in sight, but we also, here in the U.S. especially, are living through a a moment of racial reckoning that many would argue is long overdue. So when it comes to having very choppy waters uh, upon which to steer our organizations and lead teams how can we be authentic in creating meaning out of what might feel less important in our day-to-day work, right? Crunching the numbers or, or hitting those bottom, line, those bottom line targets can feel a little meaningless when Black bodies are being brutalized on the news every night. I wonder what your thought is on, on a centered leadership approach to the times we're living through right now.
1: That's a really great question. And in fact, for many months uh, during this period, I found myself floating and I reached out to others and found a lot of people like me who were trying to put a smile on it, but not feeling mm. very positive at all. In fact, one research researcher reported that something like a third of the country right now is experiencing a low-grade depression. Mm-hmm. And if that's You going to work and trying to get to that next rung, or just trying to meet your deadline, can feel empty. Yeah. And in this case, I think it's pretty important to come back to two, three, let's say, of the five. I'd start with framing and reframing. In other words, the way you feel is really okay, and it's important not to deny yourself or judge yourself. A feeling if it's anger or sadness or frustration or disappointment or shame and guilt from going to work and having nice clothes and driving a car when other people are clearly suffering, we do this to ourselves and we need to learn to let go of that. And that's part of connecting, building self-acceptance. So we touch on that. And then the third one is energizing in the sense that you've got to take care of yourself. And the way to take care of yourself is not just through physical exercise, but through mental, emotional, and spiritual energy as well. Uh, and when you put all of that together, you find that you can in fact be calmer, Mm. help others and pursue your own definition of meaning Mm -hmm. in all of this. I'll, I'll give you an example. I've been doing research on men and women of color for the last two years. I really cared about women getting ahead at work. It's, you know, I live and breathe it. I've got two daughters. The whole thing is important to me. But I really found out last year that white women were doing just fine. Thank you very much. And women of color, in particular, black women were not. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, I'm going to go back and redo all of the research that I've done in the past with this angle. Mm And uh, I came out the other end, wrote a white paper, and I can't seem to get anywhere with oh. it. And so I have moments of feeling, is, this, is there meaning in right. this? Or perhaps I'm just wasting my own damn <laughs> time and I should go back to watching BoJack Horseman or whatever else <laughs> I want to do in my life. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? I, I went back to my first principles of centered leadership mm-hmm. and thought, to myself, it doesn't matter what the outcome is. It matters what you're doing.
0: Mm -hmm. The experience of doing and giving is what counts here. Mm. I felt a lot better. I think that's really important. I want to ask you more about that research as well. But first, I don't want to overlook what you just said because (laughs) I am a very goal-oriented person. I would. I would venture to guess that 95% of our listeners identify as very ambitious, goal-oriented women. And right now, I think we are all being challenged to practice a little more uh, what the Buddhists would call detachment philosophy, right? Of being present in the moment, in the process, learning, listening, and perhaps lowering our own expectations when it comes to the outcomes that we could normally achieve because we are not in normal times, are we? <laughs> so <laughs> I, I commend you for walking the walk on that front because it's, it's much easier to talk about. So, it. so
1: it, let's let's take this word goal and break it down a little bit because it, you're, you're heading right back to connecting, building trust, and one of the four elements, which is acceptance. We tend to, and I was the same way. I mean, I'm sure most of your listeners were A plus students. And when they came home from school and showed the report card with the 96, their father or mother thinking they were making a joke would say something like what happened to the other four points. (laughs) And that, that happened to me when I was seven or eight and I was crushed. Mm. Like, yeah, Joanna, what did happen to the other four points? And so that bar went up for Mm -hmm. me. Uh, And uh, what I learned is that when you do that, you miss the whole experience of life. Mm. You're so set on that goal and achieving that goal as the uh, happiness experts, Mm -hmm. Jonathan Haidt, Marty Seligman, you name it. There are experts on it would tell you is that you make your goal. That's a very short lived high that you're going to have. It's wonderful but it you know if it lasts a day mm. you're lucky it's like hiking with a really heavy backpack and then stopping for your 20 minute break and getting to take that damn thing off your mm. back but then you got to put it back on because there's a next goal beyond the current goal mm-hmm. and there's a goal after that in today's times when the forces of evil seem to be ganging up on you to stop you from achieving your goal maybe it's time to let that go Mm. for now Mm -hmm. and just ask yourself, what is wonderful about today? And what can I do to put one foot in front of the other towards the goal and have it
0: motivate, but not punish
1: Right. Goals should not be cruel. Right.
0: I always say it's the difference between, you know, we all agree that we have to sometimes sacrifice for that which we want in life, but we don't Mm -hmm. need to suffer. Mm For that which we want in life. And I think that that difference is important to make. Um, Yeah. I want to hear more about this research of yours because one of my questions has for you has really been around you take an approach to leadership that is clearly very nuanced when it comes to gender. And I think that's important. I mean, you wrote a book about how women, what women need to lead, but. When it comes to this new research around women of color and Black women in particular, what has that experience been like? You know, what have you found? And when you say you feel like you're not getting anywhere with it, tell me more about that.
1: Well, first, I should clarify, I'm an aging white woman (laughs) who has a tremendous amount of empathy for everybody Mm -hmm. at work Uh, and uh, what I've learned is actually an accentuation of something that I I did not fully understand before. The five elements of centered leadership came out of about 100, 120 interviews with women from around the world. So they did include women of color from India, from uh, China, from uh, Taiwan and Hong Kong, uh, women from Africa, women from South America. Uh, So it's a fairly diverse a set of women, including women, of course, from the US and Canada and uh, westernized Europe Mm. and Australia. And so uh, I think that what uh, the five pieces told me is not what women have to do in order to be great leaders, but what women already have that makes them great Mm. leaders. And indeed, uh, the father of leadership academics, this fellow named Warren Bennis, who's now passed away. I was a very old man when I met him, and he was on my book committee. And he asked me, Joanna, uh, you know, I've written, oh gosh, I think he must have written 16 books by then, you know, and there are 23 mm-hmm. <laughs> characteristics of leadership. So why do you only have five? <laughs> and uh, you know, I I've, I was dumbfounded. I said, these are the only capabilities that are truly needed to go from good to great mm. as a leader. Mm-hmm. And he, it gave him pause. And he, he said, how did you find them? And I replied through a creative process. I thought about what I was missing and what I felt I needed. Connecting, let me zero in on that one. I've had, uh, I've had a feeling about connecting my whole life actually being disconnected and being self-protective to the point where it was very impossible to connect to other people. When I did this research on men and women of color, and in fact, over 70 of the interviews are with black men and women and primarily women, uh, I learned that this lack of connection is like uh, the, the lightning flash the aha moment of the whole research. And what I mean to say is that these executives were highly connected to their families and their communities, but they were not at all connected to work. And it was not their quote unquote fault. It was the fault of the system, of the leadership of their colleagues, and then their own self-protective uh, Stance that they had needed in order to feel safer in an environment that was really quite different than anything they had seen before, anything that their families had seen before. So this lack of connection is so profound that it can actually—and this works, frankly, for for white women as well. This leads to underperformance because when you're not connected, you don't get the feedback that you really need. Everybody needs feedback to tell you how to do the, the job better. You don't get the feeling of belonging. So every day is hard. It drains your energy just to show right. up. You don't get uh, support, encouragement. So even when you do something right, you don't recognize it and therefore you don't repeat it. Right. And then ultimately you don't feel like staying there. Right. It's an energy drain. And so you go. Or you underperform, and you're told you need to ship up or shape mm. out or whatever the, that shape up, ship <laughs> out. You know what I mean? So, so the and then these women, on top of it, said to me when they were little girls, their mothers basically taught them to keep their business to themselves mm. because it goes way back in the DNA to slavery times. Talking about something could lead to someone's death. Right. And so can you imagine mm-hmm. generations of being taught to not open up, not make that connection when people say, Oh, tell me about yourself. That actually is a threat. Right. It can be offensive. Of course. Because it means, you know, why are you here? Do you have a right to be here? Mm-hmm. You need to prove to me that you have a right to be here. And so these women have said to me, I am so damn tired. Telling my story over and
0: over again, validating myself. Mm-hmm. And having to answer That's all, the unasked yeah. question of what are what are you doing here? Yeah.
1: Exactly. And that that was the key that frankly I did not ever hear at that decibel or with that clarity before in the research.
0: I think it's an interesting call to action for white folks, especially because I've just been finishing Ibram X. Kendi's book, um, How to Be an Anti-Racist, and one of the most fascinating elements of history that he really hammered home for me was how during the period of integration, after we'd all collectively decided that separate but equal was not ever going to be equal, um, what really happened was the integration of people of color into white spaces and not so much the other way around. So, there's always been this threat of not belonging or this feeling of not belonging that, you know, turned into diversity and then ultimately efforts around inclusion. But one of the threats that you remind me of in the research is stereotype threat. If I am the only woman in the room or if I'm the only person of color in the company, then when I mess up, it becomes attributed to my entire representative class, whether it's women or people of color or women of color. And that is a lot of pressure to perform beyond a human level, right? And not ever to show doubt or insecurity. And then the irony of stereotype threat is that it detracts from your mental faculties because you're so busy focusing on not proving this terrible negative stereotype true that you end up not having 100% of your game... Face on for the task at hand. So, what can folks who aren't like, what can the majority of male and pale people in majority male and pale workplaces do to reduce that threat? I wonder.
1: So, so that's also a great question. And by the way, I just want to circle back sure. and say uh, uh, there were some black women I interviewed who were extraordinary connectors. And it's like so good. They did events that I'd never thought of. One woman had an event every January in her house where she invites a hundred people. She found really interesting women from across her year. And she had them all invited to come to her house for this January celebration. And uh, she was maybe the best connector I've ever met in my <laughs> life. And I've only hoped that one day she'll invite me to her party, but nonetheless uh, <laughs> the um, there's a lot that leadership can do, which, And leaders generally are male and pale and it starts with uh creating a safer environment in which people are respected and valued so when somebody is not speaking circling back to that person one-on-one and and trying to find out as opposed to dictate or assume why that person's not speaking sometimes she is shy sometimes she's quite thoughtful uh, she has too high a bar and only wants to say something that is truly profound. Sometimes uh, she is planning to go circle back to the right people afterwards because she believes that's a more effective strategy to get shit done. So you need to you need to hear with an open mind and uh, allow the other person to tell you, Uh, their story and to accept that their perspective might be very different from yours. So that's the first thing people talk about, Oh, listening is so important. I wish I were better at it. And it's pretty clear. We have so many academics working on the skill of listening. It is so clear there are books on this. You don't have to be a bad listener. You can in fact get better, but it really does start with remembering that it's not about you. It's about the other person, which is why you're listening in the first place. What a radical concept. So that's the first thing you can do. And the second thing you can do is, for God's sakes, diversify the leadership. It isn't that hard to do. There are plenty of highly talented people out there. So just diversify the leadership and you're going to have far fewer of these issues going forward because you'll have enough different people, not just Mm. by demographics, but by experience basis and skills, uh, types of skills, heuristics of problem solving, you name it, diversify Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. It's a lot harder to manage that. It's also much better
0: for the business. Right. It's like there's a clear payoff to that upfront investment of effort and energy and mindful hiring practices. I could not agree further. Yeah. Unless you're talking about heart
1: surgery, then you just want 10 of the best heart surgeons in the country to do that work. Uh, Most of the problems we encounter in business are very fuzzy, very complex, and we don't know how to solve them. And therefore having 10 of the same person isn't gonna be as good as having 10 very different smart people.
0: Totally, I love that point. Uh, And I, I could not agree further. It is worth the investment of effort and thoughtfulness To figure out how to diversify your leadership for sure. So, I wanna ask you about some of the key lessons from the book you co authored with Susie Cranston, How Remarkable Women Lead, because the five elements of centered leadership to me sound pretty gender neutral. You know what I mean? So, I'm curious, what are the biggest gender differences that you find, especially for women or men who are trying to get to that? next rung in their leadership journey. Because a lot of the women who come through my doors at Bossed Up find themselves being highly valued as individual contributors and then not given the shot when it comes to stepping up to first lead their team or first manage a team. Um, so, Wow. And that is, by the way, in the Lean In McKinsey
1: Women in the Workplace uh, research, that first management level is the one where a lot of women are falling through the cracks. So uh, really important to have pinpointed that one. So it turns out we did research back in 2010 uh, that suggests that men can be centered leaders just as much as women. Uh, It's just that when, when I did the interviewing, which were in-depth video interviews with these women starting in 2004 and continuing through to 2012. What I learned is that women, uh, way more than men care about meaning at work. It's not to say that women don't care about the money and the status.
0: We like money. Women
1: are just as ambitious (laughs) as men, but women who have lives outside of work know how important those relationships are, whether it's, uh, children or, uh, elderly parents or friends and partnerships, Mm. they really care. So you better find meaning at work. The second piece is that it turns out, um, hormonally that when women get triggered, they act a little bit differently than men, unless they're filled with testosterone. Testosterone makes you want to just plunge ahead and go into battle one way or the other. Whereas what women do when they get into an upset is they ask a lot of questions and they try to see it from other people's point of view so that the way they handle framing is quite different Um, connecting uh, what we learned is that women tend to go deeper in relationship building so women do understand trust-based relationships very well and those who are excelling at it uh, are self-accepting but most women are not so this is something to work on in terms of engaging an awful lot of women, and this is especially true of people of color, uh, were more risk averse. And the reason was that there are a lot of reasons for it. In fact, very logical reasons. One of which is men have safety nets, women do not. Now that's a blanket statement. Women's safety nets tend to either be non-existent or less good than men's because what is a safety net? It's the fact that there are some senior people who have your back. Women get less sponsorship than men in general. So what this means is that uh, taking a risk is just a bigger risk for a woman. Uh, The same actual risk would be bigger for a woman because of that. And then finally, energizing. A lot of women were talking about their families outside of work. And it's not like, and this has been well documented. It's not like the women go home and somebody else is taking care of the house. They're taking care of the house, they're taking care of the pets. They're taking care of the kids. They're taking care of the parents. They're taking care of the dinner. They're taking care of the vacations, you know, and the list goes on and on. It's exhausting to think about having two jobs and now with the pandemic, the You know, the joke is that these women are now the teaching force, unpaid teaching force of America (laughs) on top of everything else. It's just crazy. So yeah, women need to re-energize more. And that what I learned with uh, women of color is the amount of racism that people are encountering at work is high enough that if you uh, didn't recover your energy after work, you would burn out much, much quicker. So you've got to pay attention to the four sources of energy and taking care of yourself in order to sustain a career that does allow you to get to that next level.
0: I mean, a lot of these gender differences sound, its I guess it's a chicken or egg argument, but I'm thinking nature or nurture. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Is, is it women's affinity for meaning in life innate or is it because we've been taught our meaning in life is defined by our relationships to others? You know what I mean? It can be a confounding.
1: Yeah. I love that. And, you know, and if you look at millennials, you might say, you know what? It's all blurring younger people it's blurring you find ambitious women and laid-back relationship-oriented men now you know you find people who are binary yeah. uh non-specific it's you know non-gender specific whatever the right, right ways to say that are i you know it's i find that people uh, constantly critique me and they are right to do so when i say well this is men this is women and so i'm not i'm saying this is what we learned back in the 2000s the odd years as they're called Um, And it's probably less true today, although one thing really continues to be true in framing that women are just far more aware of their fears. Women cry more Mm. than men cry at work. And in my mind, Mm -hmm. that's a good thing, uh, as long as it's not incapacitating that woman or her team from doing what they need to do.
0: I mean, some might argue if men cried a little more, they'd be perhaps killing less people uh, and, you know, less rageful. Because that's the thing that uh, Liz Plank's book, I don't know if you saw it, came out last year, really got me thinking about toxic masculinity and just how constraining um, gender roles can be for men. Well, my last question for you is is typically the one I I usually open with, but can you tell us more about how you got into this work? Because you've had so many different... Uh, incredible uh, achievements over the course of your career. What drew you to this kind of work in the first place?
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for asking. Uh, And it's a a strange uh, admission on my part, which I only recognized in my early 50s. And uh, I wish it on your viewership, listenership, uh, much, much younger in life, which is that I woke up one day and just asked myself, like, what's going on? Uh, why do I feel feel so empty, feel so listless, so um, having such a malaise and, and at the same time feeling invisible? Like I could go through New York City and no one would ever see me. I could go into work and not be seen. I could, at the end of a day, go home and kiss my family. Good night. I lived in a beautiful apartment. I had beautiful daughters. And all my life, I wanted to have daughters. And there they were. I had a husband and a marriage that I really, really valued. I had a great job. I had everything that other people would say, Joanna, stop whining. <laughs> and 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 as, well, I'm not whining. I just, I feel nothing. And so I decided... To go on a journey to find out what I was missing, why I wasn't a leader. That was my big thing when I was fifty. I'm not a leader. Is it because I'm too short? Is it because I am short? I'm like a little under five feet tall. You know, is it because I say whatever's on my mind? You know, like Dr. Ruth, I'd just say anything that comes into my head. Maybe that's why I'm not a leader. Is it because you know something's fundamentally wrong with me? And so I went. On these interviews to find out what I was missing, and each time I did an interview, I fell in love with the woman. Absolutely, fell in love with her. The video, I I was quiet for an hour, an hour and a half, and she talked and talked and talked and cried and laughed, and and I saw her flaws, I saw her strengths, I saw her spirit, and I said, "What's not to love about this woman?" And after about fifty of those, I thought, you know what? Every single person is flawed, and I know what their flaw is from watching them, and I still love them. Why don't I love myself? And that was the big revelation. (laughs) What was I missing? That self-love, man. I was judging myself like you wouldn't believe. I saw only flaws and no strengths, and uh, that journey was to make myself whole. And I made myself whole by allowing these women to support me, to teach me, to encourage me, to love me for who I am with my flaws. And, um, you know, I didn't get to be a leader at McKinsey. Uh, but as one woman said to me, and she was like, I think, working at the Federal Reserve. Joanna, what's wrong with you? You're a thought leader, for God's sake.
0: I love that. I I, I cannot... Pinpoint anything closer to the essence of all of this than self love. I started Bossed Up with a phrase, like one of our core values back in 2013 was that we believe work, love, and wellness are connected. And people said to me, Do you mean love really, or do you mean relationships? Like, love seems kind of heavy to be putting into your professional development company's core values. I'm like, Damn straight, I mean love. Because that is that is what it's all about, Joanna.
1: And in fact, more women than men uh, continue to use the word love meaningfully at work. And that is a definer for many, not all, women. And some great men get it as well. So thank you for doing that. It's really yeah.
0: important. One of my favorite wins of this pandemic thus far is getting... Uh, my husband in the habit of throwing the word love around more often to his loved ones. His mom, Gail, is a loyal listener of this podcast. So I've got to give her a shout out here. But I don't think we've ever said I love you at the end of phone calls with as much frequency as we have since this whole pandemic started. Cause life is short and you gotta Yeah. You gotta you gotta You don't ever
1: wanna regret that last call. No matter what happens and hopefully nothing's going to happen, but we know that it has and that many, many good people have died.
0: Yeah. It's a scary time. Well, Joanna, thank you for sharing your story, some of your research findings, some of your really excellent advice. For our listeners and our leaders here at Bossed Up, where can our listeners who want to learn more about you and the fantastic books you've written uh, connect with you online? Sure. Well, I'm at at LinkedIn, uh, Joanna Barsh. Uh, I
1: will figure out at some point how to post that white paper on advancing uh, men and women of color and uh, to LinkedIn. uh, You can find me there. You can find me at Joanna at JoannaBarsh.net. Uh, I've got three books to my name. I think they're all pretty good. If you're uh, early in your career, you might like uh, Grow Wherever You Work better. If you're um, a a leader or leading and wanting to get better at it, you might like centered leadership. And if you're a woman looking to pivot, you might like How Remarkable Women Lead because you've got it in you. And why not bring it
0: out now? Why wait? (laughs) I love it. Well, you are a remarkable woman, Joanna. So thank you for spending some time with us here oh, today. Oh, gosh. Can't wait to come back. Thanks so much. If you want to get links to all of the great resources that Joanna just mentioned, head to our show notes page on the Bossed Up blog at org slash episode 260. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move of the Week. <laughs> This is becoming a trend. Why am I singing that? I don't know, but it feels like the right move to make today. So today we've got a boss move from the boss-up courage community on Facebook, which has been called the best place on Facebook by multiple members, y'all. So if you are sleeping on our Facebook group, get on it now. You can get a, a personalized link inviting you to join us at bosstep.org. And this one comes in from Amanda. Amanda shared a really beautiful letter uh, from a senator, and here is what she posted with it. A senator we work with often sent individualized letters to myself and my two coworkers for our recent recognition in a local magazine. What gets me is this line, quote, do not let anyone ever silence your passion, end quote. I was fired last June for speaking up in support of a housing proposal in my neighborhood. I was doxed on Nextdoor, people called my employer, all because I support permanent, supportive housing in my very affluent neighborhood. When I was fired, I didn't know what or where I'd end up. I knew it would be something big. I didn't expect to land with a local affordable housing nonprofit in a role with greater responsibility and reach. And I certainly didn't expect to get a personalized letter from one of my state senators. Courage. It can take you places. Yes, Amanda, I am so proud of you. This is such a demonstration of integrity. And I know it can be really, really hard to speak up on behalf of something you believe in when you've got skin in the game, when you have something to lose. But I think that's where real character is formed, right? I think especially for the moments we find ourselves in now, when there are so many battles that need fighting, when there's so much injustice on display each and every day, speaking up takes courage if you do have skin in the game. And that's where we need to be speaking up. We need to be speaking up despite the risks. With the utmost confidence that even though there will be sometimes consequences for doing so, You will be acting in alignment with your core values, with your integrity, with your character, and that even if there are short-term ramifications that you don't like, the long-term benefit is living a life you are proud of. So Amanda, thank you for modeling that behavior and living like a boss. I am so proud of you, and I'm so happy that your state senator recognized you it's well deserved. All right, boss, I now want to hear from you. What is your boss move of the week? Share in the Boss Up Courage community on Facebook or call in your boss move or your career conundrum that you want me to tackle on the podcast next. You can call it in to the Boss Up Podcast hotline at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. Again, for all the notes and resources mentioned during the show today, you can head to slash episode 260 all the details. And in the meantime, keep bossing y'all, even when it's scary, even when it's hard, stay true to you and let's lift as we climb.